Merry Christmas. You guys are laughing, you know. I thought that you will be silent and you would look at my face and then say what's wrong with you. Um, in my 11th and 12th grade, uh, I used to be a backbencher. And, uh, you know, backbenchers are notorious. Uh, I've had some history. And uh, my friends used to keep asking me, George, cake uh, So, where is the cake? Where is the... When are you inviting us for a meal? Um, and I remember that, I think that day I went back home and I asked, uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, why don't we celebrate Christmas? My dad continued to read the newspaper, thinking that it didn't war- warrant any response. And then if you are from the background that I am from, you get one answer which is probably very common. And that answer is, every day is Christmas. Now, uh, in one sense, we see that is true, isn't it? I mean, we were just celebrating about Jesus. For those who are followers of Jesus, this is not, uh, we don't wait for one day where we'll think about God, where we'll think about uh, forgiving others, where we'll, be, where we'll share gifts and we'll be kind to one another. I mean, for Jesus' followers, this is an everyday thing. Um, and besides, there is no conclusive evidence that Jesus was born on December 25th. In fact, most likely he wasn't born in December. And so while the date is not that important, however, we use every opportunity to proclaim about our Savior, to proclaim what Jesus did for mankind, not for Christianity, but for mankind. And therefore, um, we talk about his significance. By the way, uh, the song that we sang, Joy to the World, The Lord is Come, is not a Christmas song. So if that is news for us, this is about the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we have associated that with the Christmas song for some reason. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote this from a Psalms 98 meditation. Uh, and there is a, another composer who actually published this, uh, this song and composed a tune to it. And that came out during December time and this became so popular. And so there's always good reasons to celebrate because Jesus is coming. Uh, but I thought that is a, I mean, that was new to me when I was doing this exploration. Uh, today we continue our series, uh, <clears throat> The Acts of Christ and the Apostles in the book of Luke. And we are in chapter 2, uh, where today we are going to look at the account of the birth of Jesus Christ. This is from uh, verse 1 to 21 in chapter 2. So, Brother Caleb, thank you for reading the scriptures out to us. Uh, Those were promises and prophecies that were uh, around a solution to a problem that man had created back in the garden. And that was the sin of disobedience. We heard that throughout uh, this uh, time today morning. Fast forward, the effect is very clear, isn't it? Our lives are not the same. Injustice, violence, uh, atrocities happen. We have experienced some of that. We have experienced abuse. Sometimes some of us us are perpetrators of the abuse. And God, uh, and we knew, and he knew that we uh, couldn't solve this problem on our own. He knew that um, advancement in technology, peace agreements, United Nations, none of that can solve the problem of humanity. In fact, uh, when our great-great-grandfather Adam sinned, he knew that the problem was not, was not religion, as uh, Nathan, Dr. Nathan Iyer was reminding us. It was not in some practice or some methods, but he knew that the solution was 
in a person. Um, so we needed an external intervention. Someone who's outside of our world, because a sinful person cannot save another sinner, I cannot save you. So you, we needed an external intervention, not an alien, but somebody who can come in and I can relate with him and you can relate, uh, you know, we can relate together and yet had to be sinless. And so today, we, as we look at the very person God promised to send, Yeshua, our deliverer, uh, we will see what Dr. Luke has penned uh, in Luke chapter 2. And we get some fascinating insights. And the most important thing we could have ever imagined happened on earth. In fact, the birth of this one single man uh, was so impactful, was so influential that the dates that we write today, 19th June 2022, is associated with his birth. Time, as we know, is divided into two, A.D., and B.C. And if you don't know what is B.C., before Christ. By the way, the world today uses, uses B.C.E., that is before Common Era. They're trying to eliminate Jesus in the process. I checked uh, Johann's, uh, my son's sixth grade book when it came. Uh, and I looked, did they change that? And I saw it was B.C. And C.E. is Common Era. But in the middle of that line, it's written the birth of Jesus Christ. It's like, yes, it is because of him that time is divided. Uh, and how much ever they try to eliminate Jesus... The gates of hell shall not prevail against any of his work. So let's dig right into the story of Jesus' birth. This is a 42-45 minute uh, flight. Uh, please uh, fasten your seatbelts. Uh, I want to share four important truths and probably one application, uh, no, many applications, but one that we can actually uh, see in response to this chapter. So there are many more. Let's start Luke chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. Thank you, Georgie, for putting that up. And it came to pass. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. We are so glad that the story did not begin with once upon a time, a long, long time ago, in the land of Oz, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. We are excited because a historian has to be accurate. And so when Luke records, he says, and it came to pass in those days, he points people, places, and therefore uh, time associated with this. This is Caesar Augustus, the emperor of the greatest power of the known world on earth. During that period, he issued a decree, a decree for a census. By the way, um, uh, uh, Emperor Augustus was the grand nephew of Julius Caesar. So those are real names, right? Real people. And uh, his actual name was Gaius Octavius. And uh, after Julius was assassinated by some conspirators, uh, the Roman Senate then uh, gave, made him the emperor and they gave him the title Caesar Augustus. The word Augustus means exalted one, um, majestic one. And they gave him that they gave him that title and Jews would probably even shrink from using that title because that's only a title that is attributed to Yahweh. So this decree from Augustus goes to all the people and uh, need, people need to go to their respective homes. This census, in some translations it's used taxing. Um, this census is usually done for two purposes. One is taxation and, the number, and number two is military conscription. Now, the um, Jews were exempt from joining the Roman army, uh, unlike the Romans. But taxation can never be avoided. Two assurances in life. 
taxes and death two assurances except in the gulf in the gulf they don't tax so you make a ton, you make tons of money there but anyways so while it was mandatory for them it it uh, it was one way in which the roman government ensured that there was no leakage and revenue was uh, absolutely accounted and used well so uh, here is one thing right as much as it was an earthly decree uh, laid by an earthly king this was actually an execution of a master plan or a decree of the king of kings laid when then no i think before eternity for the foundations of this world that decree was sent it got executed through this one man where we saw as we read in micah 5:2 the messiah or the christ was to be born in bethlehem so caesar augustus the earthly king served jesus augustus the truly supreme and majestic one through a divine decree set in eternity past i just want us want to remind us and i want to exhort us god's promises are always true whether it is set 1000 years back or 1000 years later sometimes um, we live as if none of those things will happen in second peter they you know there was a lot of mockery and the scoffers used to come and they used to say where is the second coming you know the sun rises in the east the sun sets in the west we eat in between we go to work we come back and life is normal well life is not normal one day it's going to come because if every prophecy has come to the t in jesus christ i can be rest assured you read isaiah the kind of uh, perfection to which jesus on the cross comes in and all of that is just so amazing and i just want us to take this bottom line that every thing about god and what he said about you and the future kingdom to come and there will be a judgment will happen it might seem very normal today but it will happen so this is truth nugget number 1 there is no random event in your life every event in your life whether it appears to be random or planned is under the hand of a sovereign god accomplishing his decrees and his purposes in fact i would just strongly urge followers of jesus to eliminate one word in my view in my view is my personal view remove the word lucky in our dictionary it doesn't align for us simply because there are no stars that need to come in together and then when we experience something we people say oh you're so lucky yaar and we also sometimes say we are very lucky yaar no you are not lucky you are stammy there is no luck for the followers of jesus and i think that whenever we experience god's goodness god's favor uh, to undeserving people like us i think the very thing that we can do is thank god praise god and if there are tough times that happen we say god you're good and it's hard what i'm going through but i can be rest assured that there is no random event in my life let's go to the next section verses 4 to 7 so joseph also went up from the town of nazareth in galilee to judea to bethlehem the town of david because he belonged to the house of the line of david he went there to register with mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child while they were there the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn a son she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no no room for them in the inn this trip sorry the trip from nazareth to bethlehem was approximately 120 kilometers i'm not sure if eldi is here i can't see him but uh that it's like going from wcui here to aca hosur 
probably three times. Now, in the modern days, we have fast and furious cars that would take about 40 minutes. Uh, you know, the running joke is, and because LD is not here, uh, the running joke is that, you know, when he gets out of his home, he gets out of the Bible and a brick. And he puts the Bible on the dashboard and he tosses the brick onto the accelerator and pedals it. And he's usually here by 8.15. So if he's not here, there must be a valid reason, right? Now, we, w- we want us to think this. A trip on, during days like that, d- during times like that, where there's a pregnant woman on the verge of delivery, it would have been so grueling. Uh, both Joseph and Mary, but complied with this law and with this edict, not giving excuses. And I think it would have approximately taken about five to six days for a travel. Um, now, there are a few things that we can actually pick up from this one thing. Obedience to God or being in the will of God does not mean things will be comfortable or will align perfectly as we expect. Sometimes, when we are doing the will of God, it usually gets harder before it gets better. It usually gets harder before it gets better. Somehow, we have embraced a very wrong theology. And that theology is, if there are no hindrances or difficulties, ah, this must be in God's will, especially when doing God's will. Uh, the symptoms of this wrong theology, in my view, are I have, I've seen two symptoms, and that appears in prayer. One of the prayers that we make is after you know, we say, Lord, I have set out for you. I have laid down everything for you. And this is the deal I get. And then we get into uh, this conversation. And every time, by the way, that's our, there is the degree of how much we believe in that theology. Uh, and I think that is one way that it is expressed. Because we trust that when it is uh, God's will, everything should align. Another way in which we do this expression is we offer uh, consulting and solution services to God. I have done that, and if you wonder why I can relate to that, I have done that. You know, I would say when I'm going through difficult situations and I know I'm doing God's will, I give him this drawing board and say, Lord, you know what you need to do? If you do this, move this person's life, and then this will happen, and then our things will flow, and then, Lord, your name is going to be glorified. And then what do we say? Lord, just give me an opportunity in an assembly like this, I will testify. We give consulting and services to God, and God is saying, wow, hey, and, 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 and he reminds us that that's not how it works. We align with his plan when he asks us to do something because he's good. And he never has intentions to harm us. But all through the journey, to make us look like his son, amazing time. I was just praising God for the ways in which the word was coming in different ways through expressions of thanksgiving as well as from scripture that he makes us like his son and that brings him glory. Now, while I'm saying this, some of you might think, is this guy against comforts or convenience? No, I'm not against that. We don't proactively look for inconvenience. Uh, we don't proactively look for uh, discomfort. But when we keep comfort and convenience as the reference point, then we get messed up. And in that process, we tend to disobey God in what he expects us to do. And what's the outcome? We miss blessings. We miss the joy and the privilege that, wow, you gave it to me. You gave that privilege to serve you. So here is truth nugget number two. Don't let comfort or convenience be your North Star. Don't let comfort or convenience be your North Star. Now we have much to learn from this couple. As they head towards Bethlehem, they were at the center of God's will. They were under the decree of the king. No cloud nine, no astral medicity uh, maternity ward where they say three nights and four days and you can get this package. There is nothing like that. No AC operation theater. 
I mean, can you imagine uh, sisters who have had children? Can you imagine walking 120 kilometers? Probably walking uh, some nativity pictures showed a donkey. No idea. But whatever it may be, God did not soften this couple's you know, bumpy ride on a BMW X3 or a or a or a you know Tata Harrier or a toy or a Toyota Krista or whatever. I mean, he, on the contrary, he gave grace and strength to go through what he had to go through. You know, the King of Kings, by whom all the world has come into existence, as we see in this passage, was placed in a manger. Now. Maybe when you hear the word manger, you might think of a manger as some stable, some horse, cow, and all of that stuff. You know, a manger is actually a feeding trough through a trough that animals used to drink from. So if I would just, this is what a feeding trough is. Okay. Um, It's very important. It's not a crib. So I'm going to bust some nativity pictures that we have. It's not too visible too. But anyways, so if you see that it's it's made of, you know, stone and it is here where Jesus was laid. Okay? Not even during that time people would do that. I think that as we think through this, the Lord has a specific word for couples with children here. And this is what the Lord laid on my heart. Sometimes we do so much for our children. Sometimes we do so much for our children and we try to do everything in our capacity to make life very smooth for them. Move all the hindrances. Move all the challenges. The very faith, the very things that you and I went through and the lacks that we've had and the wants that we've had that brought us to God, that built our faith are the very things that we are trying to eliminate from our children. We are trying to eliminate for our children. Why? Because we want them to have the best life ever. You know, the happy cult, as, as we call it. Now, I see this when fathers lay this conversation sometimes, and they say, you know, when we were children, when we asked our parents something, they did not have much to give. They always said no, and there was limitations. And then, you know what? Um, and I, I'm sorry, parents, if you hear that this is a sad one, but you know what they say now? They say that, Uh, I don't want to go through what I went through. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work hard, make bricks of money to ensure that they are doing well. And to couples here with children, all of us, and I'm included in this, and it's a great reminder to us, a great reminder to me that um, allow them to go through tough times. Don't answer them all the time. Don't overprotect them. They will learn, they will fall, and eventually they will find God. Because if you don't do that, you know what will happen? They will end up probably not having a journey with God. Probably. And, and they could end up as entitled adults. Arrogant adults that are very difficult because they think everything should be put on their plate. Maybe it's time to repent of that thinking. Time to think and accept the fact that the faith of our children are their own. It's not genetic, as we've heard it in the last series. Um, They need to experience what it means to depend on God. And may the Lord help us and each couple here, especially who are given the privilege of having children, that you would take that mantle very seriously. Let's move on to the next section, verses 8 to 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, 
keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. <clears throat> he is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes lying in a manger or feeding trough. Now, when angels appear, the first greeting is, not good morning, Lisa, not good evening, Sean. He, they say, what do they say? What do we, we know by now what angels say. Jerry said this during his sermon. During well, What do angels say when they, when they, when they meet you? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not too excited to meet them because I think I know what I'll say. You know, The greeting that they have is, do not be afraid. Because of course, when you see such a sight, they will be terrified. So, um, And these angels appear to whom? Shepherds. And you heard about shepherds. Now, shepherds were the lowest rung of the social ladder to announce the birth of Christ. Why? Because they were ceremonially unclean. Why were they ceremonially unclean? Remember that they are actually people who used to keep, um, you know, watch over the flocks. That means that they took turns. Wake up, then the next guy comes, wake up. Night shift guy, people, we, you know, there is some, some hope here. Um, <laughs> and uh, because of that, they could not keep the Shabbat or the Sabbath. And because of that, they were ceremonially unclean. They were not the people that were accepted in the society necessarily. So um, one important observation that I saw was that uh, you know, it, probably it, these were the same shepherds that are supplying the lambs to the temple for the sacrifices, for the forgiveness of sins. Now, here, is the, here are the angels inviting them to greet Jesus, whom John describes as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Little did they know that their future problems are going to be addressed and there is going to be a major attrition and uh, the market is going to close down. You know, little did they know, right? I think there is a truth that we can pick up from here. Okay, uh, Truth nugget number three. The glory of God can be revealed in unexpected ways to unexpected people. The glory of God can be revealed in unexpected ways to unexpected people. How do you and I view uh, people who might not be from the same socio-economic background, um, those who are not of royalty, do you and I look down upon uh, those people? Uh, we can praise God that God sees the nobodies of the society, the lowly ones, the marginalized. He appears to them first. I would think that if I were God, and of course I wouldn't be, I would appear to the chief priests, the teachers and the scribes and the Sanhedrin and tell them this is where the Messiah is coming. And uh, I think that's important for us to think through. Don't limit God or, and don't put people in a box. And that's our tendency. We tend to classify people and then we think that nothing can come from them. So that's God working in unexpected, through unexpected people. What are the unexpected ways? What's your view of the glory of God? You know what's the glory of God in this passage? One partial view of the glory of God is that it's dark and dingy. The glory of God is, in, is Jesus in the feeding trough. That's also the glory of God. Where God, the ruler of life, the one through whom all things were created, is placed there, is humbling. And I think that is something that uh, we can look at and we will continue to observe that in the next segment, which is verses 13 to 14. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, 
peace to men on whom his favor rests. That's another side of the glory of God where heavenly beings are praising God and this announcement and declaring the splendor and majesty of God. Now, when the shepherds saw that sight, they were very terrified. But every time an angel appears, usually it's very dangerous. And so they were afraid just like it was in Zach's time and Mary's time and all of that. The same thing. They were afraid because then they thought this was, this was en- the end of it. What was the purpose of this announcement? Is it to bring judgment? Is it to bring condemnation? No. It is to grant grace. Grace and what grace? And the word that is used is peace. Peace to mankind. And we were talking about that story, isn't it? We were talking about the story of humanity, whether it was enmity with God. Some, some of you use that in your praises. Not that our disobedience produced anything positive. In fact, it produced everything negative. Uh, our, uh, our hearts were aching. Lives were not as, as it should be. Do you see that challenge that we experience because we don't align with that? So in spite of all that negativity that we have experienced because of disobedience, yet what do we do? We love our sin. We love our sin. And there is no way that a holy and righteous God could tolerate that sin. And there is no way that we could also deal with our sin. So here is the glory of God coming in His Son, Jesus stepping into time and space to rescue us from our sins and give us rich lives. You know, the gospel is not only about the ticket out of hell. You know, somewhere we have picked up that. I think heaven is a bonus. To be with Jesus and to enjoy Him today is something that is something that we have missed because of multiple different reasons. And we want to look at that, right? That what Jesus did was He wanted to put to death the hostility or the enmity between God and man. To those who are listening to me today, for those of you who are exploring the faith, for those of you who are on the fence, for those of you who think that uh, Jesus is not probably real, is this is Christianity true? All of those questions. I want us to remind us of this. If you sense there is a distance between you and the Creator, that things are not as it as the way it should be, then that sin robs you of this peace from God. The only way to receive this peace of God, as we as, as we kind of you know, heard it today, is to receive the Lord Jesus into your life. Because he stepped into our time and space, not to be served, but to, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that includes you. Are you willing to receive that? Receive it by faith. Receive it by faith. And you will have the peace with God. If you receive him in simplicity and humility, then the promise in Romans 5.1 holds true. And it reads like this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to reconcile and put to death anything, enmity that was between you and him. And we would just encourage you to consider that and receive him. For those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus, <coughs> here's an extended application. Do you have peace with God? And most of you might say, who are who know justification, sanctification, and glorification will say, yes, I have peace with God. Yes, that's true. By legal standpoint, by legal definition, yes. Now, we've got to ask that question, has the reality of that peace with God translated into peace with others? Has it flowed down into relationships? And we've got to ask ourselves, and I want us to examine ourselves, 
do we have enmity with people? Do we have grudges with people? Do you uh, not like people in the church here? Do you not like people um, in your community, um, in your office, uh, your best friend, your parents? You know, I hear many people talk about their parents and it just looks like they're they are bad villains. They're really bad villains. And you know what, today I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a father, I've got three children. And sometimes my children misinterpret what I do because they think that, you know, they, 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 they think of something and I, I, I just want to encourage many of you, um, singles especially, that um, don't hold grudges with them. Sometimes they are tough, that's okay. But they love you and they will do everything that they have done in their in their capability in whatever they know they have done don't hold it in negative account to them but release forgiveness why can we release forgiveness because god has granted us peace so here is an extended application for all of us peace evades those who seek their own glory maybe maybe you don't experience peace because of this one reason that you don't hold god as majestic and exalted and you and I in our journey have reduced God to our mental image, shrunk him to manageable box and say, Lord, you got to behave like this. And that was unfair that was done to me. And I think that, I think, and I'm here as a suggestion, that it's probably because you have not seen him as the majestic and exalted one, the one through whom all things happen and everything is under his control. Examine this area of your life. And I would just say take action. Your vertical relationship with God always affects your horizontal relationship with others. And the final segment, verses 15 to 21. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see, the, see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger feeding trough. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Look how eager, look how excited they were, not only to check it out, but also uh, after the confirmation spread it so much to others. This is a good thing for us to think through. You know, are you and I excited and eager to talk about our Savior and the very good thing that He has done for us? using every opportunity that God gives us, the Holy Spirit allows, in conversations with people, that there are so many circumstances that happen. Do we take that opportunity as we listen to the Spirit and say, Liju, I want you to share the gospel with them. I want you to sow in seeds about God to them. And if I'm not responding to that, am I excited about the birth of the Savior? And that's what this passage is about. Am I, am I truly rejoicing in the birth of the Savior because I couldn't do it myself? You know, we are, by the way, going to have our Christmas program in um, in December. Uh, you know, just want to encourage, build relationships with people. Build relationships with people. Prepare. And then at the right time, invite them. So there is uh, uh, Dr. Nidhan Nair and Kishore planning this out. And you can always get in touch with them. But remember that it's great opportunities for us to share the good news of God. And verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
I would have, I would just say much to learn from this young girl. Uh, very, very mature. That in spite of all of these overwhelming events, she was quietly processing all of this and tried to connect all the dots. It's been amazing. I mean, there are so many different things that we can glean out of uh, uh, out of Mary also in this. And finally, this is the response. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name of the name the angel had given to him before he had been conceived. And that, my dear brothers and sisters, is the appropriate response to God's kindness extended to mankind through the birth of his son Jesus. It is rejoicing and celebrating this salvation that has come to sinners like us. And we can now experience peace with God and peace with others. In conclusion, let me just summarize the four true nuggets and our response to this. Number one, truth nugget number one, there are no accidents. God is trustworthy. While the earthly king was issuing a decree, the king of kings was issuing a wider decree for the couple in Nazareth to shift temporarily to Bethlehem for the birth of the Savior. The king of kings, the Lord God, uses kings, governments, authorities, everything, because it will accomplish his decree and his purposes. Rome made the decree exactly God intended. So when some untoward event is going to happen in your life, and they would have happened, and they will happen, by the way, because we are living in a fallen world, may this passage, may the Holy Spirit use this passage to remind you that there is no random event, and that His decrees and His promises for you will stand, because it is His promise and we accept exactly what God is going to do through that. Truth nug- uh, nugget number two. We learn that when we do God's will, we are not guaranteed comfort and convenience. But we are promised everything or in all things, including the good, including the bad, including the discomfort, including the inconvenience. They all have a meaning in God's plan. They are conforming you to the likeness of his son. Like Joseph and Mary, live each day by faith, trusting that God is in charge. May we ask Jesus to be our faith. And truth nugget number three is the glory of God can be revealed in unexpected ways. The glory of God comes in dark and dingy settings probably. The glory of God is Jesus laid in a feeding trough. The glory of God also happens in through unexpected people. The marginalized, the low, the, 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 the lowly ones, the ones that are rejected. God can speak through them to, to us. That's where the glory of God can also be revealed. And truth nugget number four, peace evades those who seek their own glory. Seek God's glory in all things. And finally, I think the most appropriate response, as we did today morning, and I hope that we will continue to do that every day of our week. The most appropriate response to God's kindness extended to mankind through the birth of His Son, Jesus, is to rejoice and celebrate that salvation has come to us and that it has come to evil people like us. And now we can experience peace with God and peace with others. Shall we pray? Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. As we look at these passages, um, as, 
as we just see so many insights, so many things that we can learn, um, we thank you, O oh God, that uh, your glory is revealed in so many different ways. We admit, Lord, that we have put you in a box many a time. We want you to behave in a way, and we're just sorry for that, Lord. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And your, the way that you work is so different. We see that when you were placed in that feeding trough, we see one side of the glory of God associated with simplicity and humility. And there is one side of the glory of God associated with heavenly beings and the splendor and majesty of yours. And there is one side of the glory of God as we sang in the cross. Those are sights that are so difficult for us to behold and we would, we would shudder to think of that and yet that is also your glory. Help us to receive that. We want to thank you for the peace that is granted to us. We want to thank you that it does not come to the elite and some of these announcements that, that you came for sinners like us. You didn't come for the righteous, the ones who think that they can do it on their own and they seek their own glory. Lord, but they would, that, that you would allow us to remember that you are kind to us and that we have received your mercy and therefore now we experience peace. Lord, we pray that if, for grudges that we have with people. Lord, give us, would you be our love? Would you be everything that we cannot be to forgive and release, uh, release to others what, uh, what they did unto us? Uh, we need your help, Lord. On our own, we cannot do it. Help us to take those actions. Help us to respond to your spirit. When you tell that to us, every time, even in the future. Thank you once again. We today, as a congregation, rejoice and celebrate because of your birth, that we have received salvation. And we want to give you all the glory and honor for we offer all of these and ask all of these in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.